Well, if you just tuned in, good afternoon to you. It's the one, two, three show with me, Sadia. We have, um, we all have different personalities and different methods of learning. So I suppose the school environment should be suited to our individual needs. Well, my next guest in the studio felt so strongly about this that he decided to make it his mission to change the way we learn by getting schools to think about the whole working environment and approach. He's even written a book about it. Let me welcome my guest in the studio, Carl Wagner, author of The Power of Simple. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. And we are on Facebook Live. And um, so you can actually watch Carl in action here at the moment, too. Now, before we, I ask you about the book, actually, Kyle, I want to know, um, you made quite a major decision in your life. You just thought, right, I want to do this. And you kind of literally packed your bags and walked off. So tell me about how this all started for you. Sure. So it wasn't like super preemptive. It wasn't very calculated, actually, but like a lot of decisions in my life. Um, I was looking for a way to get to Thailand. I was young. I was in my 20s and I wanted to travel in the summer, which I did every summer. As a young teacher, I would save up money. Um, I didn't save up enough money for this particular summer. So I saw this job advertised in Shenzhen, China, where you could teach English through music, through drama, uh, through arts, through games. And so I decided, hey, I'm going to go over to Shenzhen, China going to be part of this program. And where were you at that time? I was in San Diego, California. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very far away. I'd never been to China. And there's a lot of people having to convince me like, okay, yeah, China is this great place. I didn't know much about it. And I ended up falling in love with China, actually. Uh, I did make it to Thailand. Um, so <laughs> did have that trip <laughs> mm -hmm. still. But then the rest is history. I fell in love with China and I've been here around 10, 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you got to China and you took this job on. And when were the kind of feelings that you thought, hang on, the whole school system and the way it's done is not quite right? So what was the what were the feelings behind that? What made you do that? Well, just to clarify, I mean, it wasn't necessarily looking for that and feeling that sense just in Asia, mm -hmm. actually. I felt that kind of worldwide. And the reason I, I first thought that is because I had the opportunity to teach at a very innovative school in the States, in San Diego. And uh, this is a, the kind of school where you had literally kids knocking down the doors to come in the building. We'd have lunch, uh, the teachers, and we'd be right there next to the doors. Um, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> about five minutes before lunch ended, like clockwork, you had all the kids wow. banging to get back in. I mean, they would rather be learning than playing basketball and sports outside. So, um, you know, what are the secrets to that yeah, happening? So why were they knocking on the door to come back in? What was <laughs> the teaching like there then? Good question. So, I mean, I think the secrets that they had at their school is they really built learning around students. Um, they built it around meaningful learning, authentic opportunities. You had students who would work together to create farmers markets. Um, they were look, working with local farmers to really teach the community about proper health. Um, you had students working with uh, people like oceanography institutes um, to plant devices in buoys to track and monitor currents. Mm -hmm. um, you also had students working with uh, professionals uh, to help heal the San Diego Bay um, and help inform people about what they can do and track flora and fauna. And these are real professional it's pieces It's very interactive work. education, this, isn't it? Linked to the real world there, isn't it, in terms of... Precisely. I mean, so the idea was, what if we structure learning around real world projects and then we integrated the curriculum like math, science, uh, social studies, everything else around those projects. And that school had a real um, innovative approach to learning. It attracted the types of teachers that were really wanting something different and were very entrepreneurial in spirit. Mm. And so rather than 
you know, a lot of the innovative people going out of education because, you know, education sometimes is a slow moving bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. You had the most innovative teachers coming into this system. Wow. So when I was over here in China, I taught at international school. I introduced some of those to the school I was at and fortunately had an opportunity to, to do some big things um, over here. So was that something, was there an appetite in China? Because I suppose if we, you know, generally, if you think about education here, you might think it's quite restricted and that, look, you need to study this, you need to do this because it's so pressurized. It's so much based on targets and things like that. So was there an appetite for kind of innovation like that? Yes. And I think, uh, to clarify, in the international schools, uh -huh. I feel like there is that strong appetite for innovation. They, Lots of international schools don't necessarily have the same pressures that public schools have in terms of mandates and standards and, like you said, learning targets and outcomes. So they can be a lot more flexible with the curriculum. So in the international schools, that's where I was able to kind of start um, implementing these changes because they're already doing a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. um, you're right in terms of the local schools, in terms of, you know, more typically culturally here, the uh, targets, the tests, the exams, um, how you finish in the top of the class or at the bottom of the mm -hmm. class, what university you go to, what degree you have, hold a lot more weight. So it was, it was a slow moving vehicle at first in changing, you know, the local schools. But in the international schools, I mean, we had an opportunity to do this. Um, the international schools were hungry for it. Uh, we helped build. Um, learning around projects, uh, started a program at the International School of Beijing called the Futures Academy, mm -hmm. which is what my book is based mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And um, we were able to get teams of teachers that work together. We redid the schedule. Um, there were flexible schedules, flexible spaces. That's interesting. And flexible it? teams of teachers. So how has the environment changed? Are you, are you like dealing with those kids in different places? Are you changing the whole, obviously curriculums change, but their environment has changed mm -hmm. as well? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you have things like, and you know, it, it wouldn't be fair for me to to share this as if this is a brand new idea because mm -hmm. I think this is not a brand new idea. There's a lot of international schools doing this. Yes. You have things like maker spaces that are popping up, which are allowing and asking kids to be creators and to be innovators. Uh, so they see the needs for this. So you see the spaces that are changing. You see kids who are going off timetable um, for a week to really explore and have experiential learning opportunities. You know, whether it's looking at the uh, local waterways um, or if it's a longer term travel trip. Uh, so you see a lot of these kind of changes taking place in schools. So when does this start? When would you suggest that this starts in terms of age? Like, does it start from, uh, you know, once the kids are like eight, ten years old? Or can you start something like this quite early on? How yeah. And that's a great question because, you know, some people say, look, the kids have to have the foundational skills and reading and writing to be able to do this kind of work. But I have seen this um, kind of approach implemented with students as young as four or five years old, um, especially with the whole maker movement. The maker movement's a good start. I mean, you can teach kids to read and you can actually teach them that through robotics where they're literally creating stories and they're creating mm. scenes out of a story. There's so much potential um, now, isn't So there? much potential now. And so I've seen kids also at as young as five and six who are creating gardens and aquaponics, hydroponics systems in their schools. And they're learning about biology. Um, they're writing stories around that. They're reading stories around plants. And so I think the question is less of like, when are students ready for it? And what are the questions that are gonna excite the wonder in students mm -hmm. to really 
offer that opportunity to now teach them the skills. Mm. What about your, if I, if I say, ask you to look back at your memory of being at school, were you at all inspired by any one particular teacher or anything that made you kind of then thirst for something like this? Yeah, it's a great question, actually. And I think back to my learning experiences, um, a lot of people will say, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, we just sat in rows mm -hmm. and we just listened to the teacher, mm -hmm. we took notes, took exams. You got scared of the teacher half the time, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. The, the, the classes where the teacher is really scary, it yeah. tends to like stand yeah. out in your memory. Yeah. But I do remember, actually, the school I went to uh, in middle school wanted a different approach. They wanted to teach kids to uh, learn by doing. And so we had lots of projects from history fairs to science fairs. I remember exploring whether polymers helped plant growth. I remember that was a big question of mine. Mm -hmm. I remember doing the experiment. So I think anybody, when I go in any schools, I ask that same question. I say, what are the learning experiences that stood out to you as a when parent? When you were growing up, yeah. Or when you were growing up. And without fail, almost all of them will share some kind of project that they're involved some in. Some interactive thing mm -hmm. with people. That's right. Precisely. And that's how you learn, isn't it? It's in not it. just through the books. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So now, what are you doing? Say, for instance, how busy are you now in Hong Kong? What are you doing in Hong Kong? Yeah. So, I mean, Hong Kong, again, is, is hungry for this. They have an appetite for change. Um, I'm working with international schools. I'm working with organizations like Yawa and uh, Yao Chung schools. Um, I'm also working with VTC, Vocational Training Council. Mm -hmm. And really what I'm helping teachers do is just redesign units of study or their curriculum to be built around these projects in real world experiences. And so really all that involves is making simple tweaks. So what we'll do is we'll have workshops with teachers, we'll have them look at a part of the curriculum, look how can we change this to be more project based. Um, if it's business, it's having students actually create a business themselves and mm -hmm. pitch this idea mm -hmm. to local mm -hmm. you know, entrepreneurs and How investors. do teachers feel about that kind of change? Because I'm sure quite a few teachers are kind of comfortable in the mode of teaching that they have and suddenly this is something quite new and you know it takes time and and I'm sure this takes an investment of time and energy doesn't it sure I, I mean it, yeah it, it would be lying to you to say that it didn't take time to actually plan sure. you know, a project like this so fortunately the organizations I work with have allotted that time I really don't try to push this on anyone and I'm hoping schools aren't pushing it on anyone mm -hmm. the teachers that are hungry for this change enact it with that small group of teachers the other teachers see the power that this kind of learning sure. has on students. Sure. And then, you know, naturally, like any kind of movement, I think it then spreads and other teachers want on board. Um, but you're right. Usually it's, it started with the teachers that really are hungry for this. And the schools that have that, they make no apologies. They say, this is how our approach to learning is. Mm -hmm. So when you have schools like Harbor School. You have schools like the Canadian um, International Schools. You have programs like Vocational Training Council now that's mandating that project-based experiences be part of the way they deliver curriculum. And then you have teachers that are onboarding to that. They're signing up for that because that's the kind of system they want to be a part but of. But it must be incredibly rewarding when, you know, as you say, if, if kids are kind of knocking on the door to come in and you see the difference that it's making to the children. I mean, for any teacher, that is the ultimate sort of goal, isn't it? To have enthusiastic students around you. Yeah, sure. I mean, you hit it on the head. I think every educator, you know, that goes into the profession, they want to make a difference. And... Sometimes, uh, if it's five, ten years into their experience, they might get burnt out because either A, they didn't make the difference they wanted to make, or B, maybe the system that they're a part of didn't allow them to make that difference. Mm -hmm. So whereas, hey, we're reaching five to ten percent of kids, 
with this outdated way of learning through paper pencil exams mm -hmm. and they actually say when you're learning from a lecture your brain activity is the same as when you're just tuning into TV. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're probably looking down, and when you're in a lecture, you're probably looking down on your phone half the time, to tell you the truth. <laughs> exactly. Because that's that's another thing. I mean, do you think that technology has kind of made a big difference to teachers? Oh, for I sure. I mean, it, it's certainly a positive thing, but it's also, I think you have to put it in a balance and, and it has negative effects as exactly. well. Exactly. And just a case in point, I just talked to a teacher the other day and they are actually, they have a husband who is a computer scientist, a programmer, and was scared to death of technology this this wife was and uh -huh. she is a teacher in the classroom but now she's taking an online course she's learning how to program through like python and javascript right. and she says now she was scared of technology she's not scared and actually she's starting to implement and use this in her yeah, class that's an interesting thing actually mm. because you don't tend to you tend to look at it in terms of the children being so engrossed in technology but you don't really realize that actually it's teachers who also have to harness that have to learn it and understand it yeah. to be able to work with them so and, that's quite a major thing, isn't it? And uh, it, what you mentioned too, Sudi, is it, it's a mindset shift. You yeah. know? It's not necessarily saying, you know, I have to know every piece of technology because you know what? You could spend every minute of the day as a teacher trying to get up to date with all the technology mm. and you, the kids will still know more than you. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's right. It's a mindset shift. It's actually having an innovative approach and a growth mindset and saying, you know what? I don't know everything, but I can learn. And being a lifelong learner, I think as a teacher, if you're committed to that, you're going to service your kids great because you're going to facilitate their experiences. And guess what? They might be able to teach you something. Yeah. They might be able to do something that you never thought possible because yeah. you provided them with that oh, Absolutely. Two-way street, isn't it? Absolutely. Sure. So now, what has, um, along this journey of yours, what has been the most challenging part of it for oh, you? Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, there's a lot of challenges, of yeah. course. You mentioned one. I think the biggest one has been the resistance to change. Mm -hmm. in general you know we have schools that have been built off this factory industrial model and what drives schools you have bells you have schedules you have a mandated amount of minutes you have a curriculum that that is becoming completely <laughs> obsolete with you know a new study that comes out and so I think because of that a big challenge has been the resistance to change because people feel like they're handcuffed by these systems um, and so I think the way to overcome that is really helping schools to make one step or teachers to make one step forward. How can I take one of my units of study? How can I tweak it a little bit? How can I take a lesson I'm supposed to teach, turn it over a little bit to the students and say, hey, how can you help me teach this particular lesson? And I think parents have to understand that this is the direction that education is going. Mm, I think so. And That's right. So it takes them so, understanding. So that. what's the sort of financial part of it? Say, you know, for the commitment for schools to do this, to make a change, because it is changes. It is changes maybe in the whole teaching of of, of students and teachers so is there a financial commitment that they have to think about when they decide to to opt for this do you mean does it cost like will it, will it have implications in terms of the cost of it to to bring it out to to bring it into the school like that sure i mean there there's always a cost involved um i think professional development obviously there's a price tag that comes with that so for teachers to be equipped uh, you know with the skills um, and the tools to be able to do this there is sometimes a price tag with that but I will give you a quick quick story mm -hmm. um, that illustrates the financial cost of this um, whereas it does cost um, 
there are two programs, and it's one of my uh, good friends that is an innovator um, over in Indonesia. And he visited two programs. One had all the money. They had a built-out maker space with all the fancy tools. You had laser cutters. I mean, this is multi-million dollars. Mm. You had another uh, space that was just equipped with very, very low tech. Um, and you know the cubbies, it looked messy. He said the projects that kids were doing were leaps and bounds above and beyond the projects that were being done by mm. this really well-equipped space because it's not necessarily about the money and the tools that you're throwing in. It's about the mindset. Mm. And he says that, that that school that was doing all those cool projects with kids, their mindset was around tinkering and innovation and allowing kids to explore. And they believed that the tools should help support that but that was shouldn't be the be all and end all exactly for education. It's really, and I suppose it's a lot to do with, um, you know, the mindset and the kind of personality of the background of some of the teachers who are involved. Yeah. You know that they have to have this kind of innovative, and you've got to let go. It's probably hard to let go of that kind of disciplined thing that you've been brought up with, isn't it? Yeah, it, and it's, that's a very good point you make, um, and that's why mindset, I think, shift. The it, we have to shift our questions away from what tools can I buy, what are the new buzzwords in education, what curriculum can I buy that's going to change my classroom, and more to how do I create a culture of innovation. Mm. And the way you create a culture of innovation, if your school leader you basically give teachers the freedom to and I don't want to say fail but take risks because mm -hmm. if you don't give them the freedom to take risks if there's no flexibility you're gonna not attract the kind of innovation that you want mm -hmm. and if you're a teacher in your classroom if your classroom is set up to be solely based on the exams and marking and rankings in class you're not creating a culture of innovation so to create that culture of innovation you got to change the mindsets of teachers and school leaders how you do that is you give people the permission to take risks. So do you think there's an appetite here for change? Do you think, certainly here in Hong Kong, can you see there's an interest in this? Very strong, and I wanted to give some plugs out to what is already happening here. Um, and this is, I've been here two years, and I've seen a very strong appetite for change. I mentioned the Vocational Training Council that's mandating now that a lot of their program uses project-based learning. Um, also, the international schools here um, that have maker spaces popping up everywhere. They're taking weeks off the timetable and really trying to shake up learning. Um, and also, there's communities that are popping up. There is the design thinking community that's popping up here wow. in mm -hmm. Hong Kong. Great. You have, and finally, I want to say that it's actually been given as part of Carrie Lam's address that design thinking and innovation is a way forward with education. So as a response, there are lots of organizations and schools that are doing this That's work. super. Okay, if I was just, I always ask my guests this, but uh, if I was gonna ask you that you could have one wish to change anything that you wanted, no, you know, obviously people say world peace and things like that, but in terms of <laughs> what you do, what would be that one wish? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I would say that the, the one wish uh, would be for innovation in education. I'd say the one wish is that we have places um, that really allow um, for risk taking and for people to quote unquote fail. So my one wish would be that schools would be a place of tinkering and exploring um, rather than a place of just stand and deliver. Great. Carl, thank you very much for coming on the program today. Thank you very much. It's been super. Absolutely great. Thank you.